now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane, here with you, as always, with my good buddy Rich Hill, as we break down Patriots, Jets, and all things that were in week seven of the NFL season. I can't believe it's almost the halfway point, but that's all right. We're going to keep plugging along here. Rich, I feel like every time you and I get together to break down the previous night's or previous week's game, we kind of have the same back and forth where the Patriots blew them out, the defense looked great, what the hell's going on? Wash, rinse, repeat. Um, sounds like a pattern here. Yeah, I mean, in six of the Patriots' seven games so far this year, apart from their one road game against the Buffalo Bills, who have the second-best record in the AFC, it seems like the Patriots have just kind of uh, just won. I don't know. When we're watching it from home, I don't know how you feel, but I'm just like, okay, this game is is over. This defense is amazing. This offense is adequate. And, uh, oh, it's 33 to zero. All right. The game is over. And this happens every single week. No, it does. It's wild. And I'm not complaining by any stretch, but you got to break the game down and kind of analyze it for our hundreds and thousands of fans. Uh, I feel like we've got to deliver more than what we're delivering, but it's just hard because it's just amazing. And you kind of sit back and all and just watch this thing go. Uh, I want to change up a little bit, Rich. We usually in our podcast, we break down the week that was talk about the games first break down the Patriots game afterwards. I think a lot more happened around the NFL to kind of shift possibly the landscape of the AFC. Uh, some movement that's been made on the Patriots side, some injuries, some some upsets perhaps. So I'd like to save that for the end. And I don't have a whole lot to break down for Patriots Jets because it was another defensive showdown, another blowout, and uh, it was over by basically the first quarter. So I think we should break down the Patriots Jets game first and then go around the league after that. Is that all right? I like it. I like it a lot. And let's start with uh, the Patriots offense because they won 33-0. They only uh, benefit from two defensive points, even though they probably could have gotten a little bit more with Kyle Van Noy if not for a Jets player tripping on his foot. Uh, Kyle Van Noy would have returned a, a ball for a touchdown. Uh, so let's look at the Patriots offense. Sony Michelle, this is my thought, three rushing touchdowns, but on only 42 yards on 19 carries. Patriots utilize him a lot in short yardage, but it's hard to complain with the results of three scores. What's your thought on the Patriots running game? They, they, they really were not able to get a lot going outside of Julian Edelman getting 20, car- uh, 20 yards on three carries. Both Michelle, Harris, Bolden, James White, none of them got anything going. It, this has kind of been an issue for the Patriots thus far this year. They haven't been able to rely on the rushing attack like they were able to down the stretch last season. Is there a fix around the corner or what's going on? Yeah, it's a good question. The immediate knee-jerk reaction is talking about the offensive line and how they're not blocking as well as they have in seasons past. But if you go back and watch the All-22 of this game, the actual onus lies on Michelle a lot of the time. You'll see the blocking scheme and the gaps open up, and Michelle will make the wrong cut and the wrong decision. Uh, if you follow Evan Lazar on Twitter, if you don't, you should. He's a great Twitter follow. Uh, he's great at breaking down film. And uh, Evan has some, some really nice skill, still shots. It's only Michelle having an open B gap or C gap, but kind of just running into the teeth of the defense regardless. And I don't think it works out well for him, to be honest with you. I like to see him do a little better job, um, a little more vision, a little more gap discipline, um, and, and doing better that way. Will Isaiah Winterturn help? 
Sure, but I don't think it really goes down to the offensive line. It's more just like an issue of him. He's a little more decisive about coming out of out of the uh, the pocket. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He's leaving a lot of meat on the bone, as some might say. He is, you know, once he hits the hole, he's doing fine. He does get hit in the backfield a little more than you would like to see where the offensive line should be doing a little bit better. But there seems to be times where, yeah, exactly what you're saying about either hitting the wrong gap or just like the vision isn't necessarily sending him in the right direction. So I, I hope that he's able to figure it out. Uh, but what also definitely doesn't help is the fact that the Patriots appeared to use whoever was possibly available for them uh, at fullback because they are down two. They don't have James Devlin, who's on the IR, as well as his replacement, uh, was it Jakob Johnson? Uh, so they're both on the injured reserve. And so the Patriots used multiple players. They used uh, Eric Tomlinson, newly signed tight end, to play a little bit of some fullback. They used Ben Watson in that role a little bit as well. Uh, they used James Ferentz, their backup center, to play some fullback, and uh, they even used Alandon Roberts, the team linebacker. Of all of these fullback options, Alec, who do you want to see playing fullback moving forward? Uh, I love Alandon Roberts. I think that's a good pick. I think he's a little more athletic than James Franz. I think James Franz, I think he was the lead blocker on one of Michelle's scores, or he more or less just plowed forward sumo wrestler style and his pancake guy, <laughs> uh, which I'm okay with. I think that's a, that's a very viable option for a short yardage gain. But I think Alandon Roberts also offers a little more versatility, a little more motion ability. Uh, I believe he actually played fullback in high school, if I remember reading somewhere correctly. So he has some experience at the position. Um, so maybe they'll they'll go with him a little more. And uh, it's always good to see a kind of rem- reminiscent of kind of the, the Richard Seymour days of the early 2000s. They're going to go back to the 85 Bear comparisons as Patriots defense is getting uh william perry the fridge had taken the carries at fullback so it's not unprecedented in a belichick system or otherwise and maybe landon roberts is the answer because you know that devlin's probably not coming back johnson's definitely not coming back so it's going to be some combination of those guys going forward yeah no and actually i i think that uh they'll use one of their tight ends they'll figure it out uh but roberts on the goal line i love that idea you know if you're outside of the the goal line it makes sense to use a tight end in that role give you a little bit more flexibility in the open field but by the goal line it's who can win their matchup and there's no one tougher on that team than a landon roberts he has great leverage he is just just a powerful hitter and you know he's the what fifth linebacker on the depth chart so he doesn't really have as many opportunities there he's been building a role for himself on special teams and so he's doing whatever he can to get his time on the field love to see him take advantage of those opportunities uh on the offensive side of the ball alec one last question for you on the offensive side as well a kind of lackluster day from tom brady uh, 249 yards on 45 attempts, one touchdown, one pick. Pick wasn't really his fault, um, but you know he was hit at, as he was passing it, landed on Jets defender's arms. This kind of has been the case for probably three of the four last games outside of the game against Washington. Brady has seemed pretty lackluster. He struggled against the Bills, dominated Washington, and then has looked pretty mediocre against these two New York squads. What's his story? How are you feeling about him? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because we're all Brady fans, obviously, and it's very easy to look at Brady and what he's done, pedigree through rose-colored glasses, and and not look at this the here and now of the season. Weapons aside, or lack of weapons aside, pass rush that the offensive line has trouble blocking as they get acclimated and the injuries and substitutions, all that aside – there have been times where he's had time in the pocket 
He's had an open receiver, including Julian Edelman, his go-to guy. He's been high or he's been low. He's thrown into the dirt. He hasn't been that accurate. Uh, he, he spells that with amazing passes. That touch pass to Dorsett for the touchdown, I guess that's what was phenomenal. That was vintage Tom Brady. But he kind of seems to have a, a kind of Jekyll and Hyde-esque a pocket presence back there. I am of the opinion that it'll get better once he gets his weapons back, once Josh Gordon comes back, once Nikhil Harry comes back, once a certain receiver who we'll talk in about a minute joins the team. Um, I think that's going to be a, a huge boost to his abilities. But right now, you really got to call a spade a spade, and I don't think he is the Tom Brady we're used to seeing. I don't think it means he's declining or that cliff's finally here. He's now like a top five quarterback instead of a top two or three quarterback. But you can't look at Tom Brady the way he's played this season and been like, wow, Tom Brady has not missed a beat because he has, and there's no way around it. No, absolutely, absolutely. He's not as consistent as he's been in seasons past, and I would attribute a lot of that to the fact that, A, there's so many moving pieces on the offensive line. Isaiah Wynn has has been out. Marcus Cannon was hurt a little bit as well, and then David Andrews is out at center, and they've had to use Ted Karras, who's improved week after week, but there's still a lot of moving pieces on that line. And then you're missing Rex Burkhead in and out. James White missed a game because of uh, his, you know he's having a kid. Julian Edelman had his chest injury. Josh Gordon's been injured. Philip Dorsett's been injured. It seems like at every turn you go, I didn't even talk about the tight ends and how literally every single one of them has been seriously hurt at some point in time. Then all the fullbacks are gone. There's just so many moving pieces. It reminds me of like the latter half of the 2015 Patriots when everyone was hurt and also a little bit like the 2013 Patriots. And both of those were situations where New England really needed to soup up their, their offensive talent. Not because they did some any poor planning at the beginning of the year. I think all of the talent is there. It's just that they're not available. And that is responsible, in my mind, for some of the decline. And even with that decline... I still think from a production standpoint, Brady's still producing like a top 10 quarterback. You put him in a, like a neutral offense with everyone else. I still think I agree with you. He's a top five guy. But, you know, the, there are some question marks with some of his like decision making or just the fact that he's seeing a lot of the pressure that, you know, is kind of not always there at times because he doesn't fully trust his offensive line. So hopefully the Patriots, you know, they get the Browns this week, then they get the Ravens after that before their bye week. I'm hoping that you look at all of the pieces that they have on their offense when you come down for that final stretch, those final seven games after the bye week. Hopefully everyone's healthy and ready to roll. No, it's true. And it's funny. One thing you have to kind of keep in mind is that Tom Brady, one thing he's always done consistently as a Patriot from 2001 all the way up to 2019 is he's always done what was asked of him and what he needed to do to get the job done and deliver a win for this team. If that is throw 50 times for 500 yards and six touchdowns, he's done that. If it's hand the ball off a lot and have 139 yards and a touchdown and a pick and that was enough to win it, He's done that. He's very good at kind of, for better or worse, just being the guy he needs to be. Uh, and with his defense being what it is, he doesn't really need to put the team on his back the way he has in years past. And maybe he knows that and he can take a little more risks and be a little more conservative, and that might play into it. But why not also play into it, Rich? I feel you and I talked about this last season, especially as November and December rolled around. You were always asking me what the identity of this offense was, and neither of us really had an answer. Were they a running team? Were they a passing team? Were they a smash mouth team? We couldn't quite figure out where this offense lie, uh, lay as, a, as an identity. 
Are you seeing the same thing this year, Rich? Do you feel like they're a, any kind of like, this is the kind of team they are, or are they still kind of finding themselves? Yeah, they're definitely still finding themselves because this is kind of like a, a jigsaw offense or uh, whoever are the five healthy players get to play this week sort of offense. And so they haven't had a real chance to have any consistency to develop that identity. And I wouldn't be surprised if down that final stretch of the year, they were able to develop that, uh, you know, that ground game that they did last year. You know, they have their final four games against the Chiefs and their atrocious run defense. And then the Bengals and the Dolphins are uh, week 15 and 17 with the, the Bills sandwiched in there, but against uh, at Gillette Stadium. So those are four games that the running game could hopefully potentially just really start to develop because New England has historically run the ball well against this Bills defense. And maybe that'll kind of align with the reintegration of Isaiah Wynn into the offensive line and a player that we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, a new wide receiver who's a very, very good run blocker. And so maybe that'll show up and then you will have all of these offensive players. Maybe Josh Gordon will find his groove and maybe, I mean, Edelman's still contributing at a high level, uh, but there isn't really a true sense of uh, this is what the Patriots do really well on offense. It's just that, the defense has been so good that uh, the offense can do whatever they can, and it's more than enough. No, it is. And they can take their sweet time finding themselves. They can go on some all kind of cross-country spiritual road journeys and, and do what they have to do, meditate a lot and go a lot of sweat lodges. Whatever they have to do to find their identity, they can do it because this defense just kind of stopped giving up points. Um, <laughs> they just don't do it. They, they're, they're on a, a historically absurd pace in terms of turnovers. They've, they've already matched their entire 2018 total with interceptions with like 17 or 18 picks. Uh, Devin McCourty has five interceptions, which is more than I believe seven, five or seven NFL franchises as a whole this year. Another shutout. They held the Jets in both matchups to zero points for the offense. There came that pick six and that muffed punt didn't really count towards the defense. There's just nothing this defense can't do. And honestly, I don't want to hear anybody sit here and blabber about they're not playing anybody good because you make nobodies look like nobodies. And I've never seen a quarterback play as poorly as Sam Darnold did on Monday night against this Patriots defense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you can talk whatever you want about the Patriots' strength of schedule, but uh, no defense has ever done this before. No defense has looked like this Patriots defense has looked. And it doesn't matter who they are playing. They could be playing the University of Alabama for the first seven games of the year. And they would still be, you know, the best defense that we've ever seen under Bill Belichick. They've been outstanding. And there's so many places that you could point to. Uh, and I just want to go and look at that secondary because you were talking about the interceptions. You're talking about how uh, Devin McCourty leads the league in interceptions. Jamie Collins, Stephon Gilmore are tied for second uh, in the league with most interceptions with three with a couple other players. Uh, J.C. Jackson, Jerron Harmon have a pair of their own as well. And you see how much trouble they gave this Jets offense. They allowed only 86 passing yards on a 34% completion rate. Four interceptions, no touchdowns. One of my favorite stats is that they allowed Sam Darnold to only throw for 86 passing yards. And Darnold threw for a 92-yard passing touchdown last week against the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> In a single play, he surpassed his entire passing total. And this is such a testament to the secondary, and I cannot remember a time under Bill Belichick. I don't care what caliber of quarterback they've been playing against. 
I've never watched a Patriots secondary play at such a high level that I have complete, full, and total confidence in the fact that they will be able to get off the field on third down. There's no soft zones. They don't let up. There's no garbage time. There's no bend, don't break. This defense is trying to just beat the other team every single play, and they're pulling it off. And I just can't imagine seeing a better defense than this. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two factors that really, really play into what you just said. One is I think they they go hand in hand, too. And one is that each unit trusts the other unit so completely that they don't have to worry about it. The secondary can cover knowing they don't have to cover for eight, nine seconds because no pass rush. The pass rush can just get there because the secondary can lock their guys down. There's no kind of in the back of my mind, if I overcommit on this blitz, will a guy spring open because the secondary can't cover? There's no cornerback saying, I I, I can't cover this guy for too long because I know the pass should take forever. And it all comes back to those uh, those boogeymen. And that that linebacking core is just the best of the Belichick. I think this is now the best linebacking core that Bill Belichick has ever had. All due respect to Teddy Bruschi and William McGinnis and Ted Johnson and those guys, but I think this these guys are more athletic, they're more cerebral, they're more versatile, and Bill Belichick's always loved him some linebackers, and with this linebacking core, they link the secondary and the front line, and that's all there is to it. And on top of that, they're having fun, man. They're having a blast out there, and you can tell how much they enjoy it. They take a lot of pride in their work. They know what they're on pace to do, and they are enjoying it. And work's always more – you're always more productive when you enjoy what you do. And so <laughs> watch, watching these guys having a blast out there, smiling and laughing and just being amazed at their own abilities, uh, it's just such a joy to watch. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And just one more uh, win in the column for the linebackers. Can you remember the last time that the opposing team ran a wheel route and you felt nervous about the coverage because the linebackers have been really good at that. And that was probably, you know, for a good stretch of time between even when they had Jamie Collins for probably like three or four years, they couldn't trust their linebackers to cover a running back out of the backfield. And they've played a, a pretty fair stretch of running backs. And I've never once been too concerned about a running back catching the ball on these linebackers because they've just had done such a good job in coverage. That's a good point. It's funny that I hadn't even thought about that till just now, which I think is the ultimate testament to how right you are. That was always their Achilles heel. Their bugaboo was always some receiving back out of the back on the wheel route, smoking Jamie Collins or Landon Roberts or Dante Hightower or whoever it was, Barkevius Mingo back in those days. Like, it was always some linebacker who got smoked on the wheel route, and that doesn't happen now. A, because – you, you saw it almost a little bit in the Jets game where Darnold tried to hit uh, Le'Veon Bell in the flat. And Hightower just bodied him in the backfield, and they still don't have time anymore because the pass rush gets there so quickly, and they, they don't have time to adjust. And so it's been fantastic, and as the offense continues to adjust and get their guys back, uh, I'm not worried about it. I think that will come. I think by December they'll be clicking on all cylinders, and they can take their sweet time, as I said, because this defense is not giving up any points anytime soon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're going to continue to get better, too, because that's what they do as a unit. Um, I think that's enough about this Patriots, just absolute decimation of the New York Jets. Let's talk about the rest of the league and some other news that uh, can really change the landscape of the AFC. Started off on Thursday when the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Denver Broncos 30-6. to But it wasn't necessarily the victory that was of note. It was an injury that happened. Patrick Mahomes suffered a dislocated kneecap. He's out for expected to be about three weeks or so. 
but the the Chiefs are about four weeks away from having their bye week. So, uh, you know, depending on how they want to treat his injury for the long term, perhaps he could be out until, you know, after the bye week, give him some additional time to rest. Alec, how do you think this injury to Mahomes affects the playoff picture and the overall landscape of the AFC? Yeah, I mean, going into that Thursday night game, the Chiefs had just lost two in a row anyway, both of them at home. And so there was already that kind of stigma around the Chiefs and how they're clear-cut number two in the league to the Patriots because unlike the Patriots defense, uh, the Chiefs are the bizarro Patriots defense in that they're terrible. They let everything through, and you can't get Mahomes the ball, and he can't stay off the field. So that was already in the back of our minds. Now Mahomes is hurt, and my big concern, Rich, isn't so much that the Patriots have a competitor, but I'm really worried that they're going to rush Mahomes back too quickly. He's going to have an RG3-like kind of situation where he just comes back. He's not ready yet. He's such a talent. He's so good. He's so much fun to watch. He makes the league better, and I'm very worried the Chiefs are going to maybe not really give this knee injury, which are no joke, the gravity it deserves, rushing back, and it's going to be an absolute disaster. And should that happen, not only does that gap between the one and two get that much better as Mahomes, bigger, excuse me, as Mahomes has to maybe miss more time for not having his knee heal, but we we, we lose out on a, on a real joy of, of the sport. Uh, so that's a really big concern for me with that. Yeah, absolutely, and hopefully they will have learned their lesson from watching the Indianapolis Colts this offseason, watching Andrew Luck retire because he you know, had been dealing with so many injuries that he wasn't able to go through the grind of another season. So hopefully the, the Chiefs rest him, not just because it's a this year thing, but because it's for the big picture. And if the Chiefs can still make the postseason, they'll still be able to, to make a run because Mahomes should definitely be back in time for that. But you know, even if they're a wild card team or you know just one of the lower seeds on wild card weekend, if Mahomes is back and he's fully healthy, they'll be able to compete with anyone. So I would say that they should make sure that he's 100% healthy before returning. Uh, but even if he does or does not, whatever the case may be, Alec, when you're looking around the AFC right now, Patriots are the clear-cut number one team. The Chiefs may be without Mahomes. Who is the number two team if Mahomes isn't available to play? I know they just lost to another team that experts are hyping up right now in Indianapolis Colts, but I'm still going to go with the Houston Texans. I think that they are a more complete team. I think that the Colts are very good. They just beaten the Chiefs and the Texans, so I really don't want to feel like I'm being any kind of biased against them because I, I love Jacoby Brissett, obviously, former Patriot. I think they have a great offensive line and a great running game and are a very well-coached team. But in terms of just the ability to make a run and make explosive plays and beat you deep and hurt you, I think Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins and company in Houston is probably the number two team in the AFC route for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love the Texans uh, team if they're able to pull it all together, if Deshaun Watson's able to have enough time in the pocket. I think that he and DeAndre Hopkins, uh, or yeah, Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins together form one of the best duos that you'll ever find out there. And Deshaun Watson, in my mind, is moving his way up and should be considered a top-five quarterback in the league over the next couple of seasons. Uh, I, I think that they, when they're on, are able to beat almost any team in the league 
but the issue is that they have a lot of consistency issues. And so it really comes down to what version of the Texans are coming out to play. Is it the ones that can beat the, the Chiefs or is it the ones that lose to the Colts? And uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I would say not only would I consider the Texans to be in the conversation, I would also point to the Baltimore Ravens, who are another team that are yeah. fairly inconsistent. They're able to play really well, but also get blown out by the Cleveland Browns. Uh, they, for the first six weeks of the season, did not really impress me too much. They crushed the Miami Dolphins, which is not impressive at all in retrospect. And then they squeaked out a win against the Arizona Cardinals, beat the Steelers in overtime with uh, with a backup quarterback, and then barely beat the Cincinnati Bengals. And then they also lost to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cleveland Browns. So they seemed like a pretty average, mediocre team until this past week, where they did a good job, played a hard game, and beat the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle 30-16. to Where do you think the Ravens fit into the AFC playoff picture? Hopefully as far away from Gillette Stadium as humanly possible, because they remain the one team that seems to be able to have to be immune from that kind of Foxborough curse that, that affects teams that come in here. Yeah, the only problem with the Ravens, I think they're good. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson's explosive, but as you mentioned, he's inconsistent. And if he can't run the ball effectively and you get a team with a, well, let's just say hypothetically a really athletic, beastly linebacking core who oh. can shut down mobile quarterbacks, maybe a team out there in the AC exists. Uh, I think they lose three of the four legs that they're standing on because uh, Lamar Jackson has a ability to extend the play and be an extra running back is primarily their offense. And so I don't think they match up well against the Patriots at all. But that said, they're Baltimore Weird things happen when the Patriots play the Ravens, and I'm hoping they get eliminated from the playoffs long before the Patriots face them. Yeah, I mean, Lamar Jackson is one of the most exciting young quarterbacks in the league. They have another good running back with Mark Ingram back there. And then uh, their top two targets, you have Mark Andrews, who is a very much a rising star at tight end. He's been battling some injuries, but he's one of, you know, I would say the heir to the Zach Ertz throne of being a really good receiving tight end. And then Marquise Brown, their rookie, who's missed a few games due to injury. He has been very exciting as well. So they have a lot of home run hitters on that team, but they've been pretty inconsistent. They also have a pretty tough schedule. They have a bye week right now, but then they host the Patriots in week nine, so we'll get a really good taste of what the potential Ravens team looks like. But then they also have games against the Texans in week 11. They're at the Rams in week 12, and then they host the 49ers and on the road against the Bills. So they have a really tough stretch there that'll really make or break their season. And that kind of suggests that no matter what happens between the Patriots and Ravens, so long as the Patriots take care of business in the latter half of the season, Perhaps the the head-to-head won't come back to bite them too hard. Uh, Alec, that's kind of my view of the AFC playoff picture as a whole. Uh, Do you have any other thoughts on the the AFC window, or do we want to talk about some of the roster changes that the Patriots have made? Yeah, I think that's a good 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 segue, Zenny, into the roster changes. Uh, the Patriots are still the best team in the AFC. Didn't really change uh, in that respect, except for the fact that they got a little bit better uh, between Monday night and Tuesday morning when they sent the second-round pick to Atlanta for a receiver they've been trying to get since the draft in Mohamed Sanu. Uh, Rich, I love this move. What are your initial knee-jerk reactions here? Uh, I like it. I mean, I think that it was a very expensive trade for the Patriots to make. Uh, Sending around a second-round pick, even a late one, is pretty hefty for a 
30-year-old wide receiver with a year and a half left on his contract who has never really been uh, the number one guy for his team. He's also never really been too much of a like of a star receiver out there. He, his career best that he has uh, is 838 receiving yards that he posted in 2018, so last year. And the fact is, is that he was the, like kind of the number three option in that offense behind Julio Jones and rookie Calvin Ridley. So I'm interested to see what his uh, production will look like in New England, especially as he has to pick up the offense on the fly. But a few things are at play here. One is that the Patriots have wanted Sanu for a while. They wanted to sign Sanu before he was offered a ton more money to join the Atlanta Falcons. Couldn't blame him for doing that. And then the Patriots tried to reacquire him this offseason during the draft and during like the whole pre-offseason for a second-round pick. And the Falcons said no. They thought he was an important piece of them being a Super Bowl contender. And now the Falcons are in the dumps and competing for the first overall pick. And so they decided, sure, we'll take a second-round pick for Muhammad. Sanu. And so New England has had a clear vision for what his role would be in the New England offense. And I can see it. I, I view him, uh, he's 6'2", 215 pounds. I see him as being a big interior receiver where he will do a nice job of complimenting Julian Edelman in the slot, give the Patriots a lot of versatility. They will allow him to kind of supplant Jacoby Myers in the lineup with a more experienced veteran, which is good. It'll allow Myers to have more time to develop as a receiver. And then it gives the Patriots a really great route runner on the interior. That'll get a lot of separation for Tom Brady. Uh, Sanu has been one of the best route runners with regards to generating separation in the entire league over the past few years. And he should continue to do that with the Patriots gives them a good run blocker, a physical guy on the inside, and giving Tom Brady another target who can get separation quickly will relieve some of the pressure that he has been facing due to a weakened offensive line. So all of the reasons to acquire a player like Sanu are there and make sense. It's just a question of how quickly will he pick up the New England offense and how long will it take for him to get involved. Yeah, and he's a smart guy. He's a constant professional. He's a gadget player. He's a good quarterback. He's got a pretty high career passer rating, if I remember correctly. And there's now a scenario where it can be like a Brady to Edelman to Sanu to Brady back to Edelman. Like triple gadget play is now in the playbook, which I love. Uh, I think he's if, if the Belichick's been after him for so long, it's for a reason. Uh, the question always is, these guys come in highly touted, highly coveted. Just can't pick up the offense. The Joey Galloways, the Ochocinkos, the Doug Gabriels, the list goes on and on. But if Belichick wanted him that badly for so long, I think he's confident to be able to do that. Now, let me ask you this, Rich. They gave a second-round pick up for Mohamed Sanu. What would they have taken with that, that second-round pick? That late second-round pick, what would that have turned into the Patriots? Probably a late fourth-round defensive <laughs> back that never saw the field. Right. So instead of drafting another DB, we forgot about in two years, we get Sanu. So I will take that trade every day of the week. Yeah, absolutely. And if, you know, at the end of the day, how long will it take for him to involve himself into the offense if he's ready to go for the playoff stretch, which this is what the Patriots are considering because they are pretty close to clinching a playoff spot, in all honesty. Um, if they're able to start off 9-0, and then uh, with games against the Bengals and the Dolphins, 
they'll be in pretty good space to to definitely have a playoff spot. And so Sanu will have multiple weeks to get ready. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they slowly maneuvered his way into it and then post-bye week will get a little bit more involved. But, uh, yeah, they have him under roster control for next year as well. That gives him some continuity and some protection in case Philip Dorsett leaves or Josh Gordon leaves. It gives them a lot of opportunities and flexibility moving forward. So I like the move. It's a second-round pick. Patriots have three third-rounders because they're expected to get two compensatory picks, one for losing Trent Brown, one for losing Trey Flowers, and their own original third-round pick. They do that because they you know they let those players walk to acquire the compensatory picks so they can take swings like they did with Sanu. So I like that. It's a big move for the Patriots. I, I hope that this offense that has looked pretty mediocre in most of the recent weeks is able to take another step forward with Sanu as a part of it. We will soon find out. I will. I, I do think he will see the field in some capacity. It's a Cleveland Browns. Uh, on Sunday as the Patriots enter into the quote-unquote meaty part of their schedule, maybe like a 15-play package. He'll see a couple of the reps, nothing too crazy, as you mentioned, but I do think he'll make his debut on Sunday against the Browns. Yeah, absolutely, and hopefully he'll be a part of it. We'll break down this game on our Thursday podcast. Alec, do you have any final thoughts on this past week of the NFL season? The Jets are behind us, and all three AFC East road games are behind us, and they're undefeated. Not a bad way to close it out. Oh, absolutely. They just have two more home games against the AFC East. Bills, Dolphins, Week 16, 17. Plenty of time for things to change down there, and the Patriots should hopefully have clinched the division before that time. But, Alec, that's it for Week 7 of the NFL season for me. Until next time, you have a good one. See you, bud. Later, man. Later, man.